It has been a long time. Yeah, you can take this out. Since I've preached here. I, I was looking. It's been almost two years. Yeah. I've avoided it. I've been able to duck it. Open up your Bibles, please, to the book of John. And just like every other sermon that I preach, I give texts out and it means nothing. Go to chapter 18 and not 19. We're going to start there. You know, the Bible says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And all of this week, my dear wife has been saying, Stay on point. You have a tendency to wander. And, and it's like at breakfast, we'll have coffee. What's your point? I said, well, I'm getting to it. I, I really am. I'm, I'm studying it. I'm going to get that, to that point. But as I said once before, Dan, and you remember this, most of my sermons are pointless anyway. But today we're going to talk about the trial of Jesus before Pilate. And let's begin in chapter 18, verse number 28. This is the inspired and inerrant word of God. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early in the morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusations do you bring against this man? And they answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. And the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word of Jesus that had spoken to show what kind of death he was going to die. And so Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this on your own accord, or did others tell you about me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And so Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? And after he had said this, he went back inside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have custom, a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover, so do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they arrayed him in a purple robe. And they came up to him and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. And Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you 
that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the robe or the crown and the thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Take him yourself and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. And the Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he has made himself out to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out. He sat, him down, in the, uh, sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in, in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the, of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. And so he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to this interrogation of your Son written for our instruction, breathed out by the Holy Spirit, inscribed by John. And we thank you, Lord God, for this word. We thank you for this account of the trial of your Son. And now speak to us, Lord. Let these words truly sink in to our hearts that we might truly understand what it was that your son was speaking. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Many of you know that um, in a previous life I was a policeman in the city of Philadelphia. And uh, there were a variety of tasks that we had to do and one of them uh, was prisoner transport. And it, it actually was, um, it was actually one of the more pleasant jobs that we had to do uh, in the fact that it got you out of patrolling and messing around with people in the neighborhoods. And it would happen on the midnight shift. So around two o'clock in the morning, you would get a call and to report into headquarters that a prisoner had to be transported to, from the local jail to the, to the county jail, or uh, if it was somebody that was convicted back to Holmesburg Prison, which is a, just an awful place in, in the city of Philadelphia. And um, I recall as, as I used to come in to, to, to gather the prisoner up to take him 
uh, off to the county jail. Um, it, it was a mindless job. You, you went into the detective office, you got the packet of information, uh, you, you then went down to the cell block where the prisoners were kept, you made sure you got the right prisoner, right Jim? It's very embarrassing to deliver a wrong prisoner to a county jail. And uh, depending on the prisoner, you would either tell them, turn around so I can handcuff you through the bars, or just put your hands through the bars and I'll handcuff you and, and take you out. And, and then we would have that long walk down the back corridor of the police station into a vestibule which would then lead out to a courtyard where the, uh, the, the prisoner transport van was. And there we would have the conversation. And it was a it was a personal conversation, just between you and the prisoner. And it was really a conversation that started, now I'm not going to have any problems with you tonight, right? Because these guys, when incarcerated, uh, became very docile, but as soon as you stepped outside and breathed the free air, between the back door of the police station and that paddy wagon, there was a, a momentary sense of stupidity. <laughs> and we would always just kind of remind them that we had guns and they did not, that they were cuffed. And the prisoner would more than likely just get into the van and we would take them up to prison. But the prisoner we're going to consider today is of a different stripe. In John 18 and 19, this is Jesus. This is the one who John in chapter 1 said he was the beginning, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. This is the second person of the Trinity, the eternal one. Jesus has moved from his active obedience to a passive obedience. He's given himself over to the trial. You read in various other places of Scripture where they came to stone him and he walked right through the crowd. Jesus was now giving himself over to Roman justice. Roman jurisprudence had evolved since the beginning of the, the Republic of Rome. It was now ruled by an empire. And this was now the third iteration of how the justice system worked there. And this particular justice system, especially in the provinces like Judea, tended to be more of a, uh, just a magistrate rather than having a lay judge uh, try a prisoner. It was less, less adversarial. The, the, the procurator, the governor, had full reign over the prisoner. 
He could ask whatever question he wanted to. He could present whatever evidence he wanted to. Uh, and there was not a defense attorney. There was not a prosecutor. It was just in front of the judge. At that time in Judea, Pilate was the fifth governor of Rome. He would have answered to a person that was the legate of Syria, and that person would have been responsible to Caesar. Uh, that person, the legate of Syria, would have been a Roman senator. And like most of the senators in our country, who hardly make it back to their home districts and become very comfortable in Washington, D.C., that was the case in Rome. The Roman senator was the legate of Syria, but never went out there. And so Pilate had pretty much free reign of how he would conduct his interrogations and anything that he would do. One of the duties of, uh, of Pilate, of the, the governor in Judea, was to appoint the high priest. It, it, wasn't the, it wasn't the Jews that appointed their own high priest, it was Pilate. And through the 10 years, I think it was from 26 to 36, uh, Pilate reigned, he had Caiaphas installed as the high priest. He would have also been responsible for the Roman troops. He would have also been responsible for collecting taxes, a very important part of his job, and uh, he was pretty much in control. So there was a familiarity between Pilate and Caiaphas. They knew one another. They had dealt with one another. It was advantageous for Caiaphas to stay on the good side of Pilate because Pilate could easily have gotten rid of him and appointed somebody else to be the high priest. So the first thing I want to talk about today is just to spend a few minutes looking at the trial in the fact that I want to explore how the trial before Pilate is typical of the, that response that the world has towards the gospel. Because really what we're going to see here is Jesus witnessing to Pilate. First, a bit of background. All three of the synoptic gospels record this trial, which constitutes the fourth and the sixth trial of Jesus. Remember, the first one was before Annas, and then he was brought before Caiaphas and some of the members of the Sanhedrin, and then he was left overnight, and in the morning he was brought before the Sanhedrin for the third trial. Then he was brought to Pilate for the fourth, over to Herod for the fifth, and then back to Pilate uh, for the sixth. So why was Jesus tried by Rome in this case? Well, traditionally, the reason that's given is that the rulers of the Jews didn't have authority to put anyone to death. But is that so? If, if, if we consider the Acts of the Apostles in chapter 7, they stoned Stephen, didn't they? That was the Sanhedrin. They stoned him for blasphemy. So why hand him over to the Romans? Well, Matthew Henry in his commentary lists four reasons. Number one, that he might be put to death legally and according to the present rules of their provincial government. They wanted a Roman court to pronounce the sentence communally. 
They didn't want this man's blood on their hands. They were perfectly willing to give him over to the decision of the court, to the decision of Pilate, but they didn't want to be responsible for any of the outcome. Number two, that he might be put to death in a more safe way. In other words, to eliminate any danger of an uproar that the Jews might have uh, inflicted on the people who convicted him in the Sanhedrin. Number three, that he might be put to death with more reproach to himself. You see, crucifixion was the way they wanted him to die so that he would become a curse. The Jews didn't want Jesus just to die. They wanted him cursed. Galatians chapter 3.13, Paul writes, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So that in Jesus Christ, the blessings of Abraham might come unto the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Finally, Matthew Henry says that the reason that they wanted a Roman trial was that they might put to, he might be put to death with less reproach. Even after his death, this was a concern of the Sanhedrin that no blowback come their way. Remember in Acts chapter 5 when all the apostles are thrown in prison. And the, the Acts chapter 5, they, the Sanhedrin brings them out of the, of the jail and he says, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name meaning the name of Jesus. Yet here you are, you've filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and are you intending to bring this man's blood on us? You see, because they could point to Pilate and say, it wasn't us, it was Rome. They're the ones who did it, not us. Now let's look at our text. The Gospel of John records the bulk of the conversation that Pilate had with Jesus. It is these deeply theological statements that Jesus makes in the response of Pilate that we want to look at today. The other synoptic Gospels are helpful in that they give us some background information. They fill in some of the, some of the blanks. Matthew, for instance, records in 15 verses of chapter 27 that Pilate was greatly amazed at Christ. It's the words that he uses. He records that Pilate knew that the charges were brought out of, out of envy. So Matthew attributes a, a, a reason, a, a thought process in the mind of Pilate. He records that the release of one prisoner and the cries of the release of Barabbas. He also records the urging of Pilate's wife, remember? She comes to him, she says, have nothing to do with this man, for I've suffered many things in a dream because of him. Now, here's a guy who's under pressure to begin with, and now he's got his wife to contend with. And these people are highly superstitious. As a matter of fact, it's Eusebius writing in the 200s. He, he records, he's a, 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 a historian, a church historian, and he records the fact that after the resurrection of Christ, Pilate writes a letter to Tiberius Caesar. 
And he outlines the fact that this, this Christ, this Jesus, this one that they called the Son of God, had risen from the dead. There was, there was, it was not just a rumor in Jerusalem. It was, it was fact. There was an empty tomb. And so he writes to Caesar. Caesar then goes to the Senate of Rome and says, we have to make this guy, Jesus, a, a god. And the Senate votes on it. And they vote it down. And I, and I looked at that, and I thought, well, that would be neat if Jesus was a Roman god. And the Holy Spirit said, no, it wouldn't be neat at all. Because the first commandment talks about, I am the Lord, there is no God besides me. And so he wouldn't have that. Matthew is also the only writer to record the famous washing of the hands. Remember, they calls for a bowl and a pitcher, and he washes his hands, and he said, let his, you know, I'm innocent of this man's blood. And the Jews make that terrible statement. Let his blood be upon us and upon our children. Finally, he records Pilate's motivation here was that he saw a riot was beginning, and so he hands Jesus over to the crowd. Mark, in his brief 15 verses, Chapter 15 repeats a lot of what Matthew writes, adding that Pilate delivers Jesus to crucifixion to satisfy the crowd. He was a man pleaser. He didn't want a riot to start. Dr. Luke, in 19 verses of chapter 23, records for us that the civil charges that were brought against Jesus by the Jews who handed him over uh, were misleading the nation. He forbade to give tribute to Caesar, the paying of taxes, and he was claiming to be a king. So Luke fills in those blanks for us, and he lets us know what the charges were from the Sanhedrin. Luke also records the sending of Jesus over to Herod when he discovers him to be a Galilean. The central concern of Pilate in the three synoptic gospels, and the first question that Pilate asks is this, are you a king? And we're going to see this theme throughout the, the, the entirety of what we look at today in John. And the only red letters that you'll read in the synoptics concerning the response of Jesus is, yes, you've said so, I am a, I'm a king. So we now turn our attention to the Gospel of John who records in 28 verses the conversation between Jesus and Pilate. So verse 28 and 18 says this in, in chapter 18. When they had led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters, it was early in the morning. They themselves didn't enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but they could eat the Passover. You, you may be wondering, well, what are you talking about the Passover? That was the night before. This was the day of Passover. And there would have been ritual meals that the, the, that the Jews would have eaten that day and so in order not to defile themselves from those meals, uh, they neglected or they opted not to go into the governor's palace. So Pilate goes out to them and says, what accusations do you bring against this man? And they answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. 
And Pilate just offhandedly says, well, then take them yourselves and judge them by your own law. This is not something I want to get involved with. The Jews said to him, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. And this was to fulfill the word of Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. These verses record Pilate's reluctance to even hear the case, but the insistence of the Jews. There's an uneasy alliance between Pilate and Caiaphas. Caiaphas was also the keeper of the vestments, or Pilate was the keeper of the vestments. When the high priest would come out on the Day of Atonement and take the vestments off, they went under Roman guardship. So there's a note of familiarity here that acknowledges that Pilate had a knowledge regarding the laws of the Jews. He said, take them yourself. Vote, you know, deal with them yourself. You have laws. But death for a prisoner was a game changer and not just in any death, but death on a cross. This is what they wanted for their king. Verse 33, so Pilate entered the headquarters again and he called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Pilate gets right to the important questions. Are you the king of the Jews? Maybe there's a note of sarcasm here. Pilate's not a stupid man. He's well informed. He knows this prisoner. He had sent guards out the night before to arrest this prisoner. He knows of the reported miracles. He knows that there's rumors in Jerusalem that this Jesus, a week before, has raised somebody from the dead. This is not just a regular prisoner. This is somebody of importance. This is somebody to be reckoned with. This wasn't just some Jewish carpenter who was out to make a name for himself. He preached to crowds of thousands. There was nothing of treason here, but there sure was a lot of kingdom talk in Jesus' message. So Jesus answers him. And Jesus says, do you, do you say this of your own accord, or have others told you about me? Consider Jesus' response to this question. It's not the it's not that thou hast sayest it that the synoptic gospels record. Jesus is probing. Look at verse 34. Do, do you say this of your own accord or did others tell you about me? In other words, are you genuinely curious about me, Pilate? Because you know about the words that I've been speaking and the miracles that I've performed or are you just conducting a trial here? What are you looking to do? As Jim Claycomb would say, pastoral reflection. When others see our good works, do they see Jesus? Remember that Jesus said to the, in the Sermon on the Mount, in the same way let your light so shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven Jesus is pressing Pilate here for a decision. Even here before Pilate, Jesus was seeking the glory of his Father in this question. Do you say this of your own accord? 
or have others told you about me? Next verse, Pilate deflects, and in anger, he draws back. Pilate answers, am I a Jew, your own nation? And the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Lesson here. Never try to turn the tables on Jesus. Pilate is moving now from being drawn in by Jesus. You, you can't have a conversation with Jesus and come away unaffected. There was something about this person Immediately, Jesus responds in verse number 36. He keeps the focus on the kingdom. He says, my kingdom's not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. In other words, you have nothing to accuse me of here. I'm not a king as you suppose. My kingdom is not of this world. The word that is used there is the word Cosmos. It's not of this earth. It's not an earthly kingdom. When he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would be established, remember what he answers in Luke 17? He says, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the, in the midst of you. The kingdom of God is, is in here. He goes on to add that if his kingdom was earthly, then his servants, and here I think he's speaking of his disciples. I, I used to think, well, he's talking about angels here. If my kingdom was of this world, then my servants, and I thought, oh, yeah. He'd, but I, I don't think Jesus is saying that. He said, if this was an earthly kingdom, the disciples would be fighting you so that I wouldn't be handed over. This case would not even have gotten this far. I'd not be standing here in front of you. So in a very backhanded way, he's indicating that the Roman government was nothing to Jesus. It's just another empire. He adds again, but my kingdom is not of this world. It doesn't have its origins from here. It is otherworldly. Verse 37, then Pilate said to him, so, so you are a king. After hearing this profound truth, which was a perfect answer to a question about the kingdom, Pilate reverts back to the same question. Was he looking for guilt here? Some form of sedition? Or, or was he wanting to engage Jesus in a, bit, in a bit further regarding the kingdom of God? Remember, this is God who's speaking directly to the mind and soul of Pilate. And, and Pilate is being drawn in. Now Jesus says something truly remarkable. Let's look at the rest of the verse. Verse 37. You say that I'm a king, or yes, I'm a king. A strange answer to a straight question. Jesus brings it down, puts the cookies, as it were, on the bottom shelf, says, yeah, you're right, I'm a king. And then he goes on to say, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Now we could camp on this for several weeks. This is the gospel being presented. 
Jesus is here revealing two things. The purpose of the Father and the willingness of the Son. He says, for this purpose, Jesus says, to establish a kingdom, I was born. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. This was the long prophesied seed of the woman from Genesis chapter 3. This was 1 John chapter 4. In this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. So for this purpose, Pilate, I was, I was born. I was sent by the Father. Second, he says, and don't miss the conjunction and here, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. This testifies to the will of the second person of the Trinity to step down into creation, to willingly carry out the will of the Father. But he adds this clarification, I willingly came to bear witness to the truth. And then he says, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Everyone who is elect hears my voice. I believe this is the culmination of all the I am statements in the book of John. I came in order that I might be the bread of life. It's a profound truth that I'm the light of the world. It is a truth that I'm the door. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. Pilate is at a crossroads here. This is God presenting him with the gospel to a desperately lost heathen governor. And what's the response? Calvin in his commentary writes, Here we see in Pilate a disease which is common among men. Pilate says in a very sarcastic way, What's, what's truth? And he turns, verse number 38, after this, he turned his back and went outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. God's word never returns to him void. Jesus preaches the gospel. He calls for Pilate to commit, and Pilate backs away turns his back. That's so typical of when we present the gospel, isn't it? If people aren't ready, they will, they will turn their backs. After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and said, I find no guilt in him. I can't help feeling here that this was a, a much saddened man. But you have a custom that I should release a man for you at Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? He's back to the kingship again. They cried out again, not this man. They refuse to acknowledge him as king. No, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a, a robber. So Pilate still refers to him as the king of the Jews. 
Now, chapter 19 is probably a good break for a number of things that have transpired between chapters 18 and 19. You would probably have the time that Jesus was brought to Herod, as only Luke records, and then back again. And chapter 19 opens with the scourging of Jesus. He is scourged, mistreated at the hands of soldiers who would be involved with his crucifixion. You notice in verse number 3, they came up to him and said, Hail, King of the Jews. Even the soldiers are joining in this mockery. Even the soldiers are involved in this kingship talk. And they struck him with their hands. So again, the whole theme of kingship is discussed. Reflection here. Do we think in terms of the kingdom of God, or do we take it lightly as the soldiers did? I don't mean mockingly, but the reality of how we deal with stress in our lives. Remember the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. Don't be anxious, saying, what shall I eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all of these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all of these things will be added unto you. So Pilate goes out again to them in verse number 4 of chapter 19. And he says, see, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. John doesn't dwell on the horror of Roman scourging, a torture that the Romans called the halfway death. It was inflicted on a victim just prior to crucifixion. But now the deed was done. Jesus would now be standing before him, bloody, beaten, exhausted, with a rough red robe on his back and a crown of thorns in a mock symbol of his kingship. Now we have the final plea and the final verdict in verse 4. I find no guilt in him. Pilate is exhausted. Mentally, spiritually, he's, he's spent. And this exhaustion gives way to anger at the Jews as he presents Jesus with a wave of his hand. And he says, behold the man. Not a king. Not a savior. Not a god. Just a man. See, he, he bleeds. He's weak like everybody else. Is he a fit object for your pity and your petty jealousy? That's what Pilate seems to be asking. Verse 6. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, these are his people. They cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him. This is extreme frustration with the crowd. 
This is not a way that a Roman prosecutor would, would, would conduct a trial. Pilate knew exactly the fact that they could not crucify him. And then he says it again, for I find no guilt in him. Third time, read the, read the book of John. Third time that Pilate declares him innocent. The Jews answered him, we have a law. And according to that law, he ought to die because he's made himself out to be the son of God. Well, what a turn of events here. Now the concern of the Jews is not merely a civil violation. Now they're talking about their law. Remember when they handed them over, sedition, failure to pay taxes, claims to be a king. Now they say, we have a law. And according to that law, he has to die. They were invoking Leviticus chapter 24, verse 16 that says, Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All of the congregations shall stone him. The sojourner as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. This should have been the out that Pilate was looking for. If I was a, a young legal student, I'd have said, excuse me, Pilate, this is what you were after. This is your out. This is your law. Take him yourselves and stone him. That's what he should have said. This is exactly what they did to Stephen. But this would not have served the purposes of God. As Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Peter is blaming the crucifixion and killing of Jesus on the Jews who merely used Pilate for their own ends. Verse 8. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. So he's, he's scared to begin with. Now he's petrified. Superstitious man that he is. He enters his headquarters again. He says to Jesus, where, where are you from? Now, he knew he was a Galilean because he had already sent him to Herod. The question is not where are you from here. Where did you come from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you'll not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Here, Jesus stands bloody beaten. His appearance was marred beyond human semblance. His form beyond the children of mankind, Isaiah 52, 14. Disfigured, probably in a state of physical shock. And yet in full control, here is our noble king. Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless that had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you, he has the greater sin. And now here is the prisoner, the convicted one standing in the place 
of the ultimate judge. Here's Jesus, the King of Kings. Well, a few final points, and we'll, we'll end with this. Verse number 12. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you're not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out. He sat down on the judgment seat at the place called the Stone Pavement and an Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And listen to what he says here. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. No longer behold the man. Now a reluctant and beaten prosecutor is forced to acknowledge the truth of the situation. This, this wasn't a confession of faith or a conversion experience. This was the ultimate reality that the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 that one day every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of the Father. Verse 15, they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. Earlier, Don read for us out of 1 Samuel chapter 8. The Jews said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they've rejected me from being king over them. Now it's some thousand years later, and now they are rejecting their long-promised king and saying, we have no king but Caesar. And this ends with the words in verse 16, so he delivered him over to them to be crucified. One more scripture, and I'll close with this. Chapter 19, we read down in the 19th verse. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. Now, the interesting thing about this, I, I was reading in Alfred Edersheim's book, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. The prisoner would have been handed over to the soldiers. The soldiers would have received the, the uh, sentence, what he was being crucified for. And every, every criminal had a placard that they would carry to the, to the cross, to the place of execution. And usually it was just one word. Thief, murderer. But here it says that Pilate himself wrote the inscription. It reads, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. So many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near to the city, and it was written in Aramaic and Latin and Greek. Pilate wanted this to be well understood. This is a king. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, don't write 
he's the king of the Jews, but rather this man said he was the king of the Jews. And Pilate answers, what I've written, I've written. This final point of, act, of uh, application here. I wrote, it's not our job or mission to convince people of the reality of the kingdom of God. That's not our job. Our job is to preach the gospel. The knowledge of the kingdom of God comes from the Holy Spirit. Sadly, in every man and woman, there is a God-shaped void that only the reality and presence of God can fill. Sadly, unconverted men will try to fill this void in any way they can. Work, entertainment, money, success, any number of idols will be fitted into that void, but it is only by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone, that can truly fill the void and then go on to permeate the entire person. Brothers and sisters, if we are truly born again from above, let me offer this last bit of advice. Be diligent in prayer and take up the sword of the Spirit every day and behold the man. Behold your king. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, our King. And we acknowledge, Jesus, your absolute lordship over us. Over us individually, over us as a congregation, over us as a denomination, Lord God. Over us as your kingdom, your people. And Jesus, we acknowledge today our complete dependence on you. We acknowledge your sovereignty. We acknowledge your grace. We acknowledge that we are but dust and ash, lowly sinners. But we have been saved by grace. We have been given a gift. And we look forward Lord, to your soon and coming again. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen.